right, turn to your neighbor. Let's do what we do. Say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> we say that because you're about to get a word, amen, and you're going to get blessed from the word of God, amen. Praise the Lord. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Derek, and everybody calls me PD, and I, I just want to thank you for being here on this frigid, cold day. Amen. Uh, we're warm inside. Climate control. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you ladies don't get warm no matter what. You know what I mean? You're like, you look like you're in snowsuits in here, some of you ladies. But anyway, praise the Lord. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Will you guys join me as we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, listening online, around the world, here in particular, Lord, that you would just speak to them, not to their minds, but to their hearts. You're looking at hearts, God. I pray that you speak to hearts today. I ask that your spirit reside in this place, stay in this place, increase in this place, Lord. We decrease, you increase right now in this room, Lord. I use my faith, Lord, to, and I exercise it asking you, Lord, to bring people closer to God during this word. May they leave different. May they leave better. May they leave, Lord, changed into your likeness even more uh, because we came here today. And I thank you for that. I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Well, we, um, we, we do things, we call them series, and we, we break kind of teachings of the Bible into parts. And so this is part three of a series that uh, we've been doing called Clean House. And it really kind of connects well to the... Um, the season we're in or the beginning of the year and kind of starting things off, trying to make sure that we're going to have a successful year. And I've said for a long time, many years, that if you want it to be your best year, you got to make it your best year what? Spiritually. Because you are, whether you realize it or not, you're a spiritual being having a human experience. So you're a spirit being. You're going to live somewhere forever. And because of Jesus, we're going to live with him forever. Amen. But we're primarily a spirit being because God has His His come into us and into our life, quickening our spirit. So we need to nourish that spirit. Sometimes we need to clean some stuff up so that the other parts of us are not kind of taking leadership or, you know, it's almost like a game I used to play called King of the Hill, you know. So who's king of your soul? We want to make sure that the spirit part of us is large and in charge. Can I have an amen? amen. So what we, uh, what we talked about with this, this idea of clean house, let me just say, if I was to ask you, you know, where does God live? You know, what's his address? Do you know his zip code? If you were to send him a letter, could you get it there? And, and, and the truth is that God's house is not so much here. God's house is here. God's house. You are God's house. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's house. Turn to your second choice and say, you are too. You're a shack, but no, I'm just kidding. You're a, your garage, no. But anyway, everybody here. It is called upon the name of the Lord as God's house. Now, what, what, what I want to do in this little review of the series is my heart is that you would have a deeper appreciation or even a revelation of that truth. So first I'll say there's a little history to houses. God has been in a series of homes until recently. He was in the beginning. He was in Adam. The first house, the primary house, is, as I've heard it taught, Adam was the primary house. God came into man. God, first of all, created man from the dust of the ground. And then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed into man and he became a living soul. What separates us, my dad used to say, from the monkeys and the penguins, from plants, you know, they're, they're unconscious. They're alive but unconscious. Animals are conscious, 
um, they have a body, they also have a mind, they have, they have a will, but the thing that separates us from them is that we have a spirit. We, dogs and, and even cats don't have an awareness of eternity, but man does. Are you with me, everybody? That separates us from, from everybody else. So God breathed into man. God, uh, his spirit came into man, and there was a relationship that formed there. But man sinned, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. When man sinned, in that moment, and this needs explanation, man died because he was cut off from God. Ultimately, death is separation from God, not a physical death, okay? Ultimately, death is separation. Are you with me, everybody? So Adam, when, when he sinned, he was immediately cut off from God because of sin, because God and sin cannot associate. And you'd say, well, no, he was alive. He lived for a long time. Yeah, actually, he lived for 930 years after that, okay? But man, he... Um, he died spiritually in that moment. He mentally died progressively, and he f ultimately died physically. It's like Christmas. You, how many of you guys at Christmas uh, are the fake tree people? All, all the honest people. Fake tree people? Fake tree people? Yeah, I'm fake tree people. Because, because the other, how many living tree people? You got to be one of the others, so raise your hand. You got to participate. It's amazing. There was only 50% raising their hand for fake tree, and only 10 people raised their hand for... Living tree. So there's liars. We gotta we gotta have a separate service. We call the living tree. We call it a living tree, but it's not a living tree. It's dead. No, it's not. Yes, it is. If you came back at New Year's, it's dead. As soon as that tree was cut from cut, it was it it died. But it was progressive in certain places. Man's like that. As soon as the relationship between God and man was severed, he died. He just he just died mentally, progressively, physically, ultimately. But in, in a moment, he died spiritually. So, so God moved into Adam because of sin. God moved out because God couldn't live in a dirty house. Then he goes into another house, the house that we see later. It's symbolic. It's a, we call it a pattern house. There was, was a primary house. There was a pattern house. That was a tabernacle or a temple. God, God went to church. That, that tabernacle is a massive object lesson of how we work. See, we're, we're a triune being, just like Adam was spirit, mind, body, right? The tabernacle was outer court, inner court, and holy of holies. It's a picture. It's a big object lesson. That temple ultimately was destroyed. God moved in. God moved out. And then you see later in history, Jesus and the, and the religious are talking and the religious, you know, are basically talking about the temple. And Jesus said, if you destroyed the temple, I'd raise it up again in, in three days. And they thought he was talking about that pattern temple, that physical temple. But he was talking about himself. He's saying, if you destroy this, I will raise it again in three days. So now we move from the primary house to the pattern house to Jesus becoming our perfect house. He became the perfect house for humanity. He fixed and reversed what was lost in Adam in the primary house. Is everybody tracking with me? What was lost was we were cut off from God. So Jesus took upon himself the sins of humanity, the iniquity of us all. The Bible even says that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Did he, did he want to hurt him? No, but he wanted to help us more than that. He was committed to God the Father, lavished his love on us by giving us his son. The son took upon himself all of this pain, all this suffering for you, knowing that he would be raised on the third day. And when he was raised on the third day, it restored that potential relationship. And now, because of that, God had moved in and moved out. God had moved in and moved out. God had moved in. And even with Jesus 
God the Father had to look away until he, he rose on the third day. And now we don't go just from a perfect house. Now you and I become the permanent house. Now God moves in, listen, and he never moves out again. He moves in, he doesn't move out, but what he does do is he'll clean house. Is everybody tracking right now? I want you to get a picture of that. I want you to get a revelation of that because it changes the way you live if you see it right. Let me say it like this. How many of you um, grew up in church or maybe even here have ever come down front, we call it an altar call. You respond to a moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you want to get right with God so you come down front at the altar. Anybody? Raise your hand if you've done that. Okay. Praise the Lord. Some, a lot of you have done that. If you haven't, maybe you should do it. Uh, there may be a moment before the day. Is that before the day ends? When you came down front here, uh, you were probably convicted in some way, shape, or form by the Holy Spirit. You didn't, you didn't leave it unattended. You responded to it. And God was probably dealing with a certain part of your life. It could have been a, a problem. could have been a sin. could have been an addiction. Let's pick a particular area. No judgment in this particular area. I'm going lightweight today. But let's just say it was cigarettes. You knew you needed to quit cigarettes because it's a temple, you know, it's not good for you, you, don't want, you want to live a long life, you want to be there for your kids, and so the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. When you came down to the altar, listen, think about what I'm saying. You would not strike up a cigarette at the altar here. Are you with me, everybody? Now, don't answer this out loud, but answer this inside. Why? Because we're in church. It's the temple of God. Listen, you're the temple. If you saw yourself as the temple like you saw this as the temple, how would you live? How you see it is how you'll treat it. Are you there, everybody? I should have got a better amen from this house. That was better, better than I. It went way better in the first service, so I'm expecting better. Praise the Lord. So that's week one. Week two, we talked last week about basically the, 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 the process of your life, the life you lead is a result of the thoughts you think. How many were here for last week for that message, okay? The life you lead is a result of the thoughts you think. In fact, you are moving, you are, you are, there's a gravitational pull every second to your strongest thoughts. You're moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You're, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so is he, so is she. It's power, your thoughts are power, thought, word, deed. That's the pattern. So if you want to change the deeds, you got to change the thoughts. And so the enemy knows that the war is not out here. The enemy knows that the battlefield is right here. The war's in your mind. So he'll attack you with these thoughts. These thoughts that he plants in your mind, they're lies. They're, de they're deceptions. They're distortions of truth. And so he puts these lies and many people buy the lie. They receive it. They accept it. Now that lie becomes a foothold in your life. The enemy is like, his ultimate plan, listen, is in your house to be a squatter. Do you know what a squatter is? It's someone who has residence in you illegally. So the enemy is trying to get a foothold. He's trying to get, if I can just get my foot in the door of the way they see finances. If I can just get my foot in the door of the way I see my husband or my spouse. If I can just get the foot in the door of how they view their bodies. If I, I just want to get, he gets a foothold. And eventually if he gets in there, a foothold takes root and becomes a stronghold. Every foothold is like a prison bar. One foot, and what he tries to do is he creates a connection between all of these lies, all of these footholds, all of these prison bars, and eventually before you know it, it becomes a stronghold of many bars, and you are in the prison of your mind. 
I need more amens because I'll preach. Listen, if you go home and this isn't a good message, you're 50% responsible. Okay? So, so I have a conversation with one of my staff who I love very, very much. And she was being transparent with me and basically saying, I I've struggled with a particular strong. Whoa, praise the Lord. I might have to exercise my faith here. Uh, that would be a service, wouldn't it? He's walking on water. No. Uh, or fell on his face. So I'll tell you a lot about his character and faith. Praise the Lord. Sorry. So I'm talking to, my, to, to one of my staff, and, and she's transparently saying that there's been a stronghold that I've been battling. I, she gets very fearful and very anxious and very stressed whenever driving. Like, significant. Like, doesn't want to go very far. And, and so her poor, her poor husband, you know, has to, has to deal with that. Has to, is, is affected by that. Listen to what I'm going to say. The strongholds that you don't address don't just affect you, they affect others. Unfairly. Unfairly. That's why you need to get free, not just for you, but for everybody else who's being impacted by your bondage, your prison, your stronghold. You got to get free, everybody. God wants you to be free. So she's basically saying, uh, you know, during this fast, God's been dealing with me. I'm not going to live like that anymore. So she tells her husband, you drive however you need to drive. Don't worry about me. He's like, oh, I don't know about that. He's thinking in his head like, ah, I'm just kidding. You just tell me what you want me to do. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to let that affect you any longer. And he was struggling with it. So here's what would keep happening. Whenever they would go out in the past, she would kind of like avoid that. You know, say this. You can't go there. Uh, stay away from that. Watch out for this. You know, like co-pilot to pilot, co-pilot to pilot. You know, it's crazy. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm hitting nerves with some people, right? I can tell the married couples like, well, I think that's white knuckle, white knuckle. Um, and, and it was really bad. And so he would try to avoid every pothole, every rut, you know, every oncoming car. He'd go way over here. And then she'd freak out because of that. And, and it was just crazy. It was a craziness. And, and so, so before you know it, uh, these things become such a problem, these patterns of behavior become such a problem, you can't even travel, you can't even get out, you can't even experience life. Are you there, everybody? And this is very common for people. And so the thing is, what I was talking to her about and she started to realize is, you can't just remove these thoughts, you have to what? Replace them. You replace them. So these thoughts, these illegal thoughts, these war criminals... You have to, they're like potholes and ruts. Uh, in science, they would call them neural pathways. Science confirms what God already says. So a neural pathway is just simply a rut in your mind. If you don't address that and replace it, you will always default back. I called them boomerangs last week. You'll boomerang back to the neural pathway, to the rut, if you don't replace it. You can't just say, let it go, let it go. You can't do that. You can't just say, I remove it, I remove it. No, no, no. It's going to come back around. You're going to go right back into that neural pathway, right back into that rut, right back into that pothole. You have to fill in the pothole. You have to fill in the rut. You replace it with what? God's promises. God's promises. And so his promises are prescriptions. So you, you got to do two things. There's descriptive and prescriptive. You got descriptive is how things are. Prescriptive is how things should be. So you identify what's wrong. Okay, Satan, I see this is a lie. You're interrogating. I see where this comes from. I see the author of this. This thought didn't just come out from inside me. It's been an attack from the outside. It's not from hell. It's from heaven. I recognize. I, I, I dis, I, I'm describing this thought. Now I need to be prescriptive. Now, in Jesus' name, I take captive that thought. And I make it obedient to Christ. Now I'm specific. I put a prescription. God doesn't want say it's depression or anxiety. God doesn't want 
want me to be depressed. God doesn't want me to have a lack of peace. God doesn't want me tormented on my mind. The Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, it is he who, it, sorry, it says, it says, he has given me the mind of Christ. It says, he will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Are you with me, everybody? Be anxious about nothing, but in prayer and supplication, present your request to God. I just keep plying prescription after prescription. Romans 14, the righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. That's what he has for me. And so when I, and then I hold on to that, all right, and, and when I hold on to that, it replaces those ruts and those potholes in my life. Now, with the prescription, which is a promise of God, 6,000 of them in the Bible, are you keeping up with me right now? There are 6,000 prescriptions in the Bible. Do you take, when you're sick physically, do you take a prescription once? No. In fact, your doctor's like you to take it the rest of your lives. That's not how God is. But you might have to take a prescription more than once. How long do you take it? Till the virus is gone. Till the toxic thought is gone. Till the pothole is filled. Till the rut is removed. Are you with me, everybody? Keep applying. Keep replacing that thought. And that is how you're transformed, Romans 12, chapter 2, by the renewing of your mind. Is everybody with me right now? This is good teaching. So that's how you clean your heads. Now let's talk about how to clean hearts. Clean hearts. We're in a new subject today, and I hope this helps you in a big way. We're going to study uh, a particular personality in a little bit, but let me give you the big idea. The big idea for a clean heart, and this is really, really meaningful. Clean hearts start with a devoted heart. Devoted heart. You cannot have a clean heart if it's not devoted heart. Obviously, we're talking about devotion to God, okay? Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. I want to read this together. Hopefully, it's going to come up on the screen. Here's what it says, and we're going to give context for this before and after, but this is huge. Let's read this together. For the eyes of the Lord, let's start together. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Then it goes on. But you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. That second part of the verse I will unpack for you in a little bit because that might not make sense without context. But the first part of the verse, here's what we can learn. God wants to support you. God will and wants to support you. He wants to help you. The Bible even uses the, in the Hebrew that word is hold tightly. He wants to help you through your problems, help you through your difficulties. We are living in uncertain times. It might be, you're probably thinking, if things are going well for you right now, here's what I believe. You probably just came out of a trial, but I promise you, you're probably getting ready to go into another one. Because that's the world. We're living in. I think 2024 is going to be a roller coaster before this year ends. All right? That's why we're going to need support. Whether you realize it or not, you're going to face things where you need God's help. Now, we live in America. It's one of the most self-reliant, independent, you know, self-absorbed cultures in the world. And, and we have money and means and things like that. So we can go a lot longer than most people. But even in America... Even in this country, even in New England, there are going to be days where you're going to need support. And God wants to support you. God wants to help you. God loves you and cares about you and thinks you matter. Turn to your neighbor and say, you matter. He wants to give you strength because that day will come. I have a friend who probably could be listening, and he lives in Florida, and, and I've been discipling him for about two or three years now. He went through a really dark place. He lost his wife to stage 4 cancer. His second wife had stage 4 cancers fighting for his life. Life, her life. He almost died in, in, during COVID. He was in a COVID unit. Young man, my, younger than me. And uh, that's a very young man. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? I don't understand that. Wow. Wow. 
Um, but he, uh, we needed that apparently. But he's, he's just gone through hell. And, and he got stripped of everything he had. He couldn't even work, couldn't, just taking care of his kids and wife, trying to make ends meet. And it just lost everything, just literally bankrupt. But in his darkest place, he found God. And he restored his relationship with God. And he's back on fire for God. And his circumstances have not all changed yet. But they will in Jesus' name. His wife rec is recovering and believes she's going to overcome. I just texted her this morning praying for her for healing. But I'm just saying that, that sometimes people, listen to what I'm going to say. I've said this probably 100 times in my career. But this, this time it feels like it has some punch. Some people change when they receive enough they're able to. Some people change when they learn enough they want to. But most people change when they hurt enough they have to. But listen, don't be that person. Don't in 2024 wait for the, the pain and the trauma and the crisis to come. Surrender your heart fully to God now and gain his support now. Don't wait for that to happen. Are you with me, everybody? And so God supports, according to the scripture, those who are wholly devoted in their hearts to him. Those whose heart is completely his. There are three types of people in this room. There are people whose heart is completely devoted to God. There are people in this room whose heart is partially devoted to God. And there are people in this room and listening online that are far from God. Now listen, don't, don't, don't answer this question out loud. But for the love of God, answer it. Which one are you? What do you think you came to church for? To have your ears tickled, get a nice message and go home? God is after your hearts. God wants your whole heart. He doesn't want you partially committed to him. And he certainly is drawing those that are far from God. Please, please, I want to support you. I want to help you. But I am handcuffed, hamstrung. I can't do it if your heart isn't fully committed to me. But if it is, I will support you and give you strength. Where is your heart today? God is looking at your heart. It's the only thing he's looking at. He doesn't care about all the other stuff. You do sometimes, but he doesn't. He's looking at your hearts. He's looking at my heart. Your heart is always devoted to something, to someone. I'll say it like this. Your heart can never be neutral. It always has something or someone in the first position of your life. Is God in the first position? Is God in the first place of your life? Or is it money? Is it your career? Is it your family? Pastor Derek, what's the matter with that? Those are all good. They are good things. But they can be a competitor to God being in the first place in your life. God, listen, you might not like this, agree with this, and I don't have time to unpack it. God cannot be anything but first in your life. He only take first. He, he, and he deserves first. He deserves first. Not second, not third, not last. He doesn't want you going to him when there's no, other, there's no other options for you. He doesn't want you to go to him when you've run out of money. He doesn't want you to go to him when your spouse doesn't have the answers. He doesn't want you to go to him when your boss doesn't give you the promotion. He wants you to go to him first. Can I have an amen? Praise the Lord. Matthew 15, it says this. Jesus speaking to church people. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching these different doctrines and precepts of men. The context of this is Jesus is speaking to the religious behaviors. He's speaking to the, the people that just go through the motions, the people just go through the rituals. I, I, I don't know what's going on, you know, uh, right now, but I, I know some of it has to do with fasting and praying. When you, when you consecrate your life at a different level, you become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You become more easily convicted by the Holy Spirit. You become more concerned about what God is concerned about. I'm concerned as your pastor that we can come in and out of church and be the same. 
week after week. I'm concerned that it's not even a priority. Listen, I, I'm not here. If you're here for the first time, you're off the hook. I, I'm not after you. I'm after my family. Uh, the people that call me pastor, I'm telling you, you can't just keep going through motions, religious activities and, and rituals and routines. God wants all of you this year. He wants more than yesterday. He wants you to want him more than last week. He doesn't want you living on stale bread and testimonies from 29 years ago. He wants you to have a fresh testimony right now. And you're like, can I get an amen in this house? You got to get on fire for God. Praise the Lord. That's why Proverbs tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence from out of it flows life, the springs of life. Watch means guard. Why? Because your heart has a tendency to wander, drift. The disease of drift is more, is more prevalent than cancer. Whatever disease there is in the world, there's nothing more prevalent than the disease of drift. Your heart is always, always wandering away. The, and yet, the heart part of you is the real part of you. The heart part of you is the real, real you, your heart, your will, your emotions, your desires. Your heart, your heart is, is the one that orchestrates that. Your heart determines the direction of your life. If your heart is not right, your decisions will be wrong. That's why Jesus said he got the great commission, he got the great commandment. The great commandment is really over that. The great commandment is Jesus speaking, love the Lord your God. He doesn't say, you know, partially, once in a while. No, you know, just give a little bit. No, he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. Why? Because he knows how critical it is to every single area of your life. It's so important. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, will you cheat on your business partner? If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, will you cheat on your spouse? You wouldn't. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, will you worship him at church? Will you, will you read your Bibles? Will you spend time with him? Yes. It's all about loving God. Are you with me? Some of us are focused on the wrong thing. If you don't love God, then the commandments are going to be very problematic for you. You won't like the commandments. But if you do love God, everything changes. It, it's, it's easy or easier. That's why First, uh, first John 5, 3 says the commandments of God are not burdensome. If they're burdensome, it's because you're focused more on the commandment than the love for God. See, my wife's over here. See, I don't, I don't, if I relate, my capacity to love Stacy is directly related to how in love I am with God. If I love God with all my heart, my capacity to love Stacy increases. Are you with me, everybody? If I'm not loving God with all my heart, my capacity to love others decreases. Another way to say it is, if I love God with all my heart, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep the commandments in my marriage. So, I mean, I get, so let me try it like this. If I focus, I'll use, I'll use this plane. If I love, focus on loving Stacy, then I don't have to focus on not committing adultery, not looking at a woman lustfully, not veering to the right or to the left, uh, making sure I, uh, I hope I can make it to the end without failing. No, I don't focus on that. I just focus on loving Stacy, and those things are not a problem for me. They're not burdensome for me. God's trying to give you this to help you see so you keep this. But sin is pleasurable, isn't it? It is. The Bible says, you don't like to say that, but sin is pleasurable. It is. The Bible says it's pleasurable. For a season. But, it, but it's like an anaconda. It wraps around you, the cords of sin, it wraps around you. And as it wraps around you, it begins to suffocate the life of God between you and the Lord. It begins to take that relationship, that breathing relationship between you and God. Sin deceives. Sin lies to us. Are you with me, everybody? I'm never going to get through this message in seven minutes. 
So I want to give you an example. I'm going to go back to that Second Chronicles chapter 16. And I want to give you this, the second part of that didn't make any sense. Here's what it says. It says, it says okay, God's going to support us if we're wholeheartedly his. But then it says, you've acted foolishly. Who? We'll see in a second. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Here's the background. There's this guy named King Asa. Asa. Let's say it Asa. It's a lot better that way. We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> King Asa, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to go back two chapters. I'm going to paraphrase a ton of scripture. Read it on your own. It's going to help you a lot. Asa, in Second Chronicles 14, verse 2, this, this verse will come up. The Bible says he did good in, and right in the sight of the Lord. By the way, you will do good and right if your heart is right. Like we just said, his, he was good and he did right with God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places and he tore down the sacred pillars and he cut down the ashram. Basically what he did was he removed idolatries. And, and he commanded the people of God to serve and follow God and do what he says, his commandments. So what you learn about this guy and what we can learn as it applies to us in this text is your heart is devoted. When it is, you get rid of idols in your life. If you want a clean heart, you've got to remove idols in your life. What are idols? I'll get to that in a little bit, but I'll modernize it first. These idols here were, you know, ashram and high places and foreign altars. But for us, the American idols are power, pleasure, possessions. Those are the big three that we typically elevate and put above. And so if you're going to have a clean heart, you've got to pull down, tear down those different altars, those different idols that are on those altars of your life. Notice how it says altars because it's basically saying it's a high place. It's something we put above God. You've got to pull those things down if you're going to have a clean heart. Are you tracking with me? If, you, if you're trying to like unpack it in like a practical way, I, I have such compassion for young people today because of our sexualized culture. You can't go five seconds online and you are inundated with so, so just so much opportunity to fall and to fail in, in sexual temptation. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. And so sometimes as parents, you can get overwhelmed or as role models, like, what do I tell them? you got to do this, 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 and then you'll be okay. No! The, how do you keep a teenager from doing, maintaining their purity, walking uh, you know, upright before God, obeying and following his commandments? In a, in a world where everybody's doing it a totally different way, everybody's going a totally different How do you do it? you got to teach your kid how to be just in love with God with all their heart. That's the only way. Only way. It's your only way too. Are you with me, everybody? So the Bible says Asa was a good king. But it doesn't mean there won't be problems. In fact, it's bad theology to think that if you're wholly devoted and fully devoted to God, you're not going to have problems. No, that's not the case. What God will do is he'll give you strength through the problems. And then on the other side of it, do something better. He's always up to something better and bigger if you fully condition, if you fully are devoted to God in your heart. Verse 9, here's what happens. A king comes in, attacks King Asa. And this king's trying to take over, and he comes with one million soldiers. Second Chronicles 14, verse 9, show that. One million soldiers and chariots. How many know if you had a million adversaries coming against you, that's a bad day? You say, well, how many guys did he have? Historically, we're not sure, but he was vastly outnumbered. We know that from commentary. He was vastly outnumbered. So he goes to the battlefield to face this one million soldiers and all their chariots, and he doesn't, 
He doesn't try to figure it out, and he doesn't freak out. He immediately prays, the Bible says. He called to the Lord his God. He said, Lord, there's no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So God, help us. Oh, Lord God, we trust in you and in your name and have come against this multitude. Oh, Lord, you are God. Let no man prevail against you. He went to God first, everybody. He prayed, and the Bible records, you can read on your own, that Asa had an incredible victory. The victory was so unbelievable, the Ethiopians could never recover and ever attack them again. That's how incredible this victory was. Skip ahead. Everybody say skip ahead. Asa's now a much older man. We're going to look in the scriptures here, and we'll see that he was, he was famous, he was successful, he was rich, he was powerful, and he'd been reigning for a long, long time, Second Chronicles uh, 16, this is now back to that original verse we read, but the first portion of scripture, if you're interested. And watch closely the changes in the condition of Asa's heart. In the 36th year, let's say he was a president, he'd had many terms, repetitive terms. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, this Bahasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah. Pause, look at me for a second. I want you to picture the country of Israel. You guys probably got a good idea what Israel looks like just based on modern situations, okay? It's, 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 I think it's smaller than Rhode Island. In the northern kingdom was one king, and, and, and the kingdom was split to two kingdoms, and there was a southern king. The southern kingdom was Asa, okay? And after Solomon, uh, his reign and mistakes, the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Asa comes under attack by the northern kingdom. So Asa does something in the middle of all this that we'll see. Asa decides not to go to God. He does something different. He goes to his wallet. He's rich and he's powerful. And he goes and he, and he, and he brings silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and from the king's house. What did Asa do? What happened? Asa began to trust his own strategy his own wisdom, Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with, with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. That was the wisdom of Solomon. Are you with me, everybody? But Asa did not do that. And, and, and yet, even though that was the case, his strategy was brilliant. Because there was this kingdom, northern and southern. The northern is attacking the southern. But on the outside, Syria was another king. So Asa pulls out money out of his wallet and pays the king of Syria and says, hey, I'm going to give you all this money if you'll attack the northern kingdom. Because if you attack the northern kingdom, then that kingdom will stop attacking me. It's brilliant. Guess what? It worked. He was successful. Was well, that bad? Is it bad that he was successful with that strategy? Yes, it was. Why? See, my daddy used to say this to me when I was a boy, when I was playing basketball. I used, to have, I used to have game. I used to be able to jump. Now my feet are planted on a firm foundation, praise the Lord. <laughs> I couldn't shoot, but I had handles. For all you ballers, you know what I'm talking about. But when I would go and pray, play in the yard, I'd do these fancy layups, you know, over and unders. And I used to call them loop-de-doops. And i go, Dad, come watch me, watch me, watch me, watch this. And, 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 and i do these crazy shots, and my dad would go like, son, son, what's the worst thing that can happen with that shot? And I'd say, well, of course, I'd miss it. And he goes, No. The worst thing that would happen is you'd make it. I said, Dad, why? He said, because you're doing it wrong. And it's going to continue to encourage you to do something wrong until one day it doesn't work. It doesn't get you where you need to go. It doesn't get you the best things in life because you've been doing it wrong, getting the right results. Listen, some of you 
are not trusting in God and you're trusting in your own wisdom, you're trusting in your own knowledge, your own capacity, and your own abilities. And guess what? Sometimes it's working for a little while. I'm just telling you, eventually you're going to come to a place where it doesn't work anymore and you're going to get yourself in trouble and you're going to be going to God and you're going to want his help, but you've been far from him or best yet partially committed to him and now you need his support. It's going to be a tough day when those days happen. Are you tracking with me, everybody? And so it worked, but it, was, it, was the, it, was, it wasn't the way to go because God had a better plan. God wanted to wipe out Asa's enemies completely and entirely. And that's why it goes on to say a little bit later here, where is it in that verse? It says, you have acted foolishly in this. You've acted foolishly indeed because of that. From now on, you will surely have wars. The Bible instructs early in the text, it reminds them, don't you remember what I did for you before? Uh -uh, excuse me, don't you remember when I dealt with a million soldiers and chariots on your behalf? And now you have relied on your own strategy and set upon the Lord. You have acted foolishly. And I'm hoping somehow this connects to some of your plans. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. Are your plans lining up with God's plans so that you can be blessed? Are you pursuing your plans in 2024? Maybe during the fast, maybe during the season of prayer, you need to put your plans on the altar and say, God, flip the tables and show me what should my plans be this year. Because I want to be blessed and I need favor. I don't want just good and successful. I want better in Jesus' name. Are you with me, everybody? So King Asa was, was pride, and pride always leads to idolatry. And he built those altars again. Listen, an idol is anything or anyone that takes the place of God. What is taking the place of God for you? So here's how you know if you have an idol. Three tests. Number one test, I call it the security test. Where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your security? Do you have an idol? Where are you putting your security? Is your security in money? Just talking to a brother last week, last week, last service. Came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He was just saying, when you were talking, God revealed to me that money's my idol. I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Half the battle is just admitting. Just letting God open your eyes. Then I said something too that I'm saying to you. When God reveals you what that idol is, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in church because the Holy Spirit's here and he speaks through servants and people at times. See, God is speaking by, by his still small voice. He's whispering to you and he's talking to you all the time. God's always talking to his children. But you can turn them down so fast. You can turn the volume down and don't hear them. So then you come to church and God speaks through a person, a prophet, a pastor, a friend, a pal. I want to come up with another word, a partner. Praise the Lord. Another P word. But you can ignore that person too. Asa did that in this story. Asa ignored, ignored the prophet. When you ignore the prophet, then it gets worse. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Listen. I said, if, you, if, if conviction comes and you don't do anything about it, it's going to become condemnation. And a lot of people are living in condemnation, and it's not because of God. It's because you didn't respond to what God told you to do, what God said for you to do. Are you tracking out there, church? So what are you putting your security in? Is it money? Is it career? Well, and the second question is, what will really make you happy? What will really make you happy? Here's, here's what people have said to me over many years. If and when, then. If I get this job then I'll begin to, be, begin to be faithful with my resources. When I find a husband, by the way, outside the church, then I'm going to come back to the church and we're going to serve God the rest of our days and build a Christian family. 
It sounds nonsense, but people have done that literally in my ministry for 30 years. They give up following God. They just came in here to find a husband. Instead of finding God and wholly commit to God, they had an agenda. They had a plan. They didn't find it. So they went somewhere else to fulfill that plan, only to come back miserable and ask God to help them and rescue them through that plan. Just give your life fully to God now, and God will give you better. He'll give you above and beyond more than you can even ask or imagine. Just give your heart to him. He'll support you. Don't, don't, anyway, I want to, I want to go there. My wife and I, we used to do marriage retreats, and, um, and I remember one time we were doing a marriage retreat early in ministry, and, and there was a time of question, are you guys getting something out of this? I'm going to preach a little longer, okay? It's second service, praise the Lord. Where else do you got to go? It's freezing cold outside. Settle down. <laughs> so we're doing a marriage retreat, and, and they're asking questions. They want to ask my wife questions. So, okay, fine. Bring my, my precious bride, my better half up here. They start asking her questions. Boom, boom, boom. Then this one lady gets up. And I don't know if she's trying to embarrass me or what, because she's like, Pastor Stacy, uh, does Pastor Derek make you happy? As soon as, she sa- as soon as she said that, I was like, well, well naturally. You know, I'm thinking, Yeah. This is going to be good. Go, baby. You know, go, go, baby. Go, baby. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. In seconds, literally like, bam, right out of rush. He goes, no, he doesn't make me happy. That's not, that's not his job to make me happy. I don't put that responsibility. I don't put that weight on him. That responsibility is on God. My relationship with God is what makes me happy. Now, in marriage, I'm happy, but I don't expect my husband in the marriage to make me happy. Are you with me, everybody? We, 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 we got to flip the table. And so single people, single people are sometimes unhappy, and they think if they find somebody else, they'll be happy. Then they get married, and they're doubly miserable. Oh, my God, my God, don't get me going on relationships today. (sighs) Number three, I got to move on. This is the emotional test, okay? That one I really want to, yeah, I just want to. The, the third test is the emotional test. What will really make you angry or sad if it's taken away? This is how you know if you have an idol. This is how you know if you have an idol. I, I discovered this about families, even good Christian families, is people idolize their children. Idolize your children. You, you, your, ch- your child, your children can be an idol. See, something good can be an idol. It's not always bad. Something good can be an idol. That's wrong. You must learn to hold on to, you're a steward of those. Everything you have, you, everything in life, you're a manager, you're a steward. All your job is is to grow it and protect it. But it's not yours, including your kids. You're a steward of your kids. You have to hold on to everything. God wants you to hold on to everything in this life loosely. Otherwise, it's holding on to you tightly. It will arrest you, and it will like an anaconda squeeze your relationship with God. God, listen, God can take them away. They can move away. They can stray away. And what are you going to do when that happens? Hold on loosely. That doesn't mean you don't care about them. doesn't mean you don't pray for them. Don't get me wrong on all that. Just God just saying, don't put them here above me. Because here's what happens. Every idol, no, no idol will ever fulfill the promise to meet all your needs. If you idolize your husband, if my wife idolized me and I idolized her, I, we can't fulfill that promise to each other. We'll always let each other down. Whatever you put on that idol position will never be able to fulfill that promise. Are you with me, everybody? So King Asa, you know what he did? He trusted in himself. And, and then a prophet came and confronted him. Basically said, you've got these idols in your life. You need to deal with this. In verse 10, he became very, very angry. And he put the prophet in prison. Listen, I'm I'm speaking as a prophet. Do not put me in prison today. Listen to what I'm saying. 
listen, heed the voice of God with regards to idols in your life. It enraged him, made him mad. Some of you might get mad. Some of you might get angry. I'm telling you, God's trying to get your heart. He's trying to get your attention. And so in the 39th year, here's what God does. Uh, years later, he's, he's, he's been reigning for a long, long time. Asa becomes diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So here's what happens. He didn't listen to the voice of God. He turned the volume of God down. He didn't listen to the prophet, the seer, and he put him away, and he put him in prison. And so God, in his mercy, doesn't cause these things to happen, but he allows sometimes people to experience problems and sickness so he can talk to you. So he can get your attention. I remember being in a hospital one time, and I, I, just, I just had a major surgery, and I'm laying down, and God said, I will make you lie down in green pastures. He, he twisted the story. He kind of showed another side of it. He's like, I've been trying to get your attention. Do I have it, son? I was sick. I couldn't leave for five days. I, I just locked up there. See, God will use these things. But don't wait for that. Listen to the seer. Listen to the prophet. Listen to your pastor. Are you with me, everybody? Church, don't put your confidence in these idols. Don't put your confidence in man. Put your confidence in God. Because if your heart isn't right, you will not listen. And God will use these things to get through to you. Some of you are asking, why, why, why these problems? If you're having problems today, some of us ask, why? Stop asking why. Ask what? What are you saying to me? What are you trying to do? What are you, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to speak to me? Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. David did this so well. My advice to you is don't, don't run away from God. Agree with God. Don't reject what he's saying to you through, through, through God's people. Receive it. Like, be like a David. You know David at the end of his life, the Bible said, end of his life, after being an adulterer, a deceiver, a murderer, God said in Second Chronicles that he was a man after my heart. You don't have to be perfect. But the, the, David, the David spirit was this. When he made a mistake, he didn't make excuses. He made improvements. He didn't just, he didn't, he didn't just like say sorry because he was caught. He owned it and he repented and he made changes and he made sure that he got right with God. He didn't let his heart get hard by the deceitfulness of sin and by idolatries. Are you there? Are you listening? Are you listening to the spirit of God, everybody? Because if you're not careful, at some point you won't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore if you're not careful. One thing I wrote in my notes that I want to say to you, the ultimate blessing of a devoted heart is the blessing of God himself. And the greatest cost of following Jesus is the things that you will not experience if you don't. My mom's in the room when she gave her life to Jesus. She fully, fully devoted her life to Jesus. That affected my father, who was an atheist, who fully devoted his life to Jesus. That affected me, who fully devoted his life and gave my life to Jesus. I married my wife. We've raised a family. There's a legacy because somebody fully devoted their life to Jesus. And some legacy is my family. But legacy, you're also my legacy. You are, you are, you are a result of people who said yes to God and fully devoted their heart to God. Listen, when you fully devote your heart to God, God always has something better than you could have done by yourself. It's better 
and it's bigger than you could have ever imagined. So here's what I want to do. I'm, 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 I'm after what God is after. I'm after your hearts. If some of you have, your heart has gotten hard, it's gotten callous. I ask that question. How many of you are, how many of you are totally devoted to God? How many are wholeheartedly devoted to God? How many of you are partially devoted? And how many of you are far from God? With every head bowed, every, every eye closed. I just want to ask you. Some of you in the next, you know, you might need to get out of your seat and come down and get right with God. And that's, that's different for some of you on a Sunday morning. But I'm going to ask the prayer team to come right now. And anybody that's helping me, I want you to come down and just fill, f- follow the front of the altar here right now. Who, whoever's helping me. Pastor Chris, can you come? Yes, Azevedos, thank you. Right, across, right in front of me too. Pastor Devin, can you help me with this too? My wife, wherever she is, I expect a response in Jesus' name. Listen, Holy Spirit, everybody's eyes closed. If God is dealing with you on your heart, you, you don't want to walk out of this service. I, some of you got to go. I get it. You got to go. Go. That's fine. No guilt. No shame. I know there's things. But listen, some of you might need to get right with God today. You need to give your heart fully to Je- fully devote your heart to God. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to talk to people down front here. You need to ask them, how do I, how do I invite Jesus into my heart? But I'm really going after the people who know in the, their heart has gotten hard. Your heart has gotten hard. And this message, the Holy Spirit's been poking on you. The message through the prophet is poke. I'm not saying I'm a prophet, just operating in the gift of the prophet. The Holy Spirit's been poking on your heart. And you know you need to get right with God. You don't want to go another week without total, whole surrender in your heart to God. I want you to get out of your seat right now. Boldly get out of your seat. Come down front here to receive prayer. Don't, don't, don't go another minute. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. There's, listen, don't miss this opportunity. Come down right now. Come on, come on, come on, come on. God bless you for your courage. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, people are coming, people are coming. Come on, come right now, don't miss it. Come on, come on. This, sometimes you have to believe something in your heart, but you need a physical response. There's, this is what we're going to learn this year. You can't just say things and not do something. You can't just hear and not obey. Come right now, get down right now. Get on your knees, get on your knees before God. I want you to just begin to repent for negligence, repent for being far from God, repent for being partially committed to God. Come on, come on, come on. There's more, there's more. Don't miss it. There's more. Don't miss it. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, fill the altars. Come on. This is your moment. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to be partially committed. I don't want to just go through rituals and routine. That was a nice song. That was a good message. Thank you, Pastor I can't wait to see the clips later. No, 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 no. This This is dealing, this is doing surgery on my heart. God is patient. By the way, God is patient with you because he loves you. I'm going to be patient with you too as your pastor. Don't miss this opportunity to get right with God. People are going to get breakthroughs. It's going to be a big change. God has better for some of you. God has.